Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and it's January 7th. Famed contralto Marian Anderson became the first Black performer to take the stage at the Metropolitan Opera on this day in 1955. She had been born in Philadelphia. Her mother had been a schoolteacher. Her father delivered ice and coal, and she and her two sisters were all very musically talented, but Marian especially really stood out. Her church congregation started teaching her more about music at a very young age, and At the age of 14, she was moved from the children's choir at Union Baptist Church into the adult choir. She had a really astounding vocal range, and she also had the ability to read the music and sing whatever part was needed right there in the moment. Her church congregation recognized that she had just astonishing musical abilities, and they started a fund to pay for her to get private music lessons. She was able to find a number of voice instructors over the years, including some who were so impressed with her talent that they agreed to teach her for free. But most of Philadelphia's conservatories would not admit her because of her race. At the age of 17, she won a contest to perform with the New York Philharmonic Symphony Orchestra. That performance happened in August of 1925. She made her European debut 10 years later at the Paris Opera House. By this point, she was showing her range not just in terms of the notes that she could sing, but also singing in different styles of music and different languages, singing everything from spirituals to classical music to folk songs all across the board. And she was also really determined. She broke her ankle just before she was to debut at Carnegie Hall in New York, and she did her entire performance standing on one leg, balancing herself against a piano, using her dress to cover up the fact that she was in a cast. That was in 1935, and a year later, she became the first Black person to perform at the White House. In 1939, one of the more dramatic events of her life took place. She was supposed to perform at Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C., But the Daughters of the American Revolution, which owned the hall, refused to allow her to do it. This was one of the more obvious instances of racism in her career, but it was not remotely the only one. While she was traveling around the United States, she was routinely turned away from restaurants and hotels because of her race. Southern newspapers also shied away from calling her Miss, as they would call a white woman, After the DAR refused to let her perform at Constitution Hall, Eleanor Roosevelt, who had been the first lady during that performance in the White House, resigned her position at the DAR publicly. A number of other prominent women publicly resigned as well in outrage. And a Marian Anderson committee formed in response to all of this. That committee and Eleanor Roosevelt worked together to arrange a concert at the Lincoln Memorial instead. 75,000 people attended And one of the people who's reported to have heard this and the broadcast was Martin Luther King Jr., who later cited it as an inspiration. 
Marian Anderson continued to perform. She took the stage at the Metropolitan Opera on January 7th, 1955, as I said at the top of the show. She had a standing ovation before she even began singing in her role in that night's performance, which was the sorceress Ulrika in the Verdi opera Un Ballo Machera. She continued to perform. She continued to receive so many accolades, including being awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom over the next 10 years. She published her autobiography called My Lord, What a Morning in 1957, and she became a UN Goodwill Ambassador the next year. She also gave benefit concerts for civil rights organizations and sang at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. She retired after her last performance at Carnegie Hall in 1965, and she died on April 8th of 1993. You can learn more about her in the August 1st, 2011 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for another first this time within the world of LGBTQ history. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome back to This Day in History class, a podcast where we unwrap a piece of history candy every day. The day was January 7th, 1979. Vietnamese troops occupied Phnom Penh, the capital of Cambodia, and overthrew Pol Pot's regime. Under Pol Pot's administration, millions of Cambodians died through forced labor or genocide. The communist movement in Cambodia emerged in 1930, when Cambodia was a French protectorate and part of French Indochina. The Indochinese Communist Party was active across French Indochina, and in Cambodia in 1951, the party set up the Khmer People's Revolutionary Party, or KPRP. Leaders of the Khmer Isarok, or the Anti-Colonial Resistance Movement, helped found the KPRP. Cambodia gained independence in 1953. In 1960, the KPRP was renamed the Workers' Party of Kampuchea, and six years later, it was renamed the Communist Party of Kampuchea. Nuan Cheya and Selof Tsar, later known as Pol Pot, emerged as leaders in the party. Followers of the party became known as the Khmer Rouge, a term coined by the Prince of Cambodia, Noradam Sihanouk. Driven by communist ideals, the Khmer Rouge army operated mainly in remote jungle and mountain areas in northeast Cambodia. They advocated for an agrarian society, one-party rule, and abolition of private property. They also rejected urban and western influences and encouraged nationalism. The Khmer Rouge led resistance efforts against Sihanouk, whose authoritarian rule inspired some opposition. But Sihanouk also had plenty of supporters and was popular among people in the countryside, and the Khmer Rouge initially made little headway in their insurgent efforts. At the time, Vietnam, one of Cambodia's neighboring countries, was embroiled in war, and influence in Cambodia was sought after by the communist and anti-communist powers. Cambodia was officially non-aligned regarding the Vietnam War. But in the 1960s, Sihanouk cut ties with the U.S. 
and the North Vietnamese Army and South Vietnamese insurgents operated from Cambodian border areas and the port of Sihanoukville. At this point, the pretense of Cambodian neutrality clearly dissolved. The U.S. ordered a bunch of bombing attacks in Cambodia in the late 1960s, targeting the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese Army. In 1970, pro-American Cambodian politician Lon Nall and Sihanouk's other opponents had the prince deposed as head of state. The U.S.-backed Khmer Republic, led by Lon Nall, was proclaimed later that year. Sihanouk aligned with the Khmer Rouge, and support for the Khmer Rouge began to pick up. War broke out in Cambodia. U.S. airstrikes continued throughout the early 1970s, killing combatants and civilians alike, while Vietnamese communists aided the Khmer Rouge in capturing the countryside. The U.S. stopped the aerial attacks in 1973, but continued aiding Lan Nall's government. Civil war between the Khmer Rouge and government forces continued until 1975, when the Khmer Rouge entered Phnom Penh and overthrew the pro-U.S. military regime. Pol Pot became the government's prime minister. As soon as the Khmer Rouge took power, they evacuated cities and forced people into the countryside to start agricultural work. Pol Pot admired the way the tribes on the outskirts of Cambodia's jungles lived, and he set about a brutal overhaul of Cambodian society. The country was renamed Democratic Kampuchea. The Khmer Rouge shut down banks and abolished the national currency and free markets. Buddhism and other religions were denounced. Artwork was destroyed. Families were broken up. Foreigners were expelled. People who worked in the rural farming communes, forced to cultivate rice, died from disease, starvation, and abuse. Intellectuals, people in the middle class, people associated with the previous government, and ethnic and national minorities were killed. Lack of food, drugs, and medical care in the country led to more deaths. It's estimated that the Khmer Rouge killed between one and two million people during their rule. The Khmer Rouge also launched incursions into Vietnam, Thailand, and Laos. On January 7, 1979, Vietnamese troops responded by capturing Phnom Penh, toppling Pol Pot's regime, and establishing a moderate communist government. The Khmer Rouge fled but re-established forces in Thai territory. Survivors of the Khmer Rouge called for reparations and justice, but war and turmoil continued in Cambodia. Vietnamese troops withdrew from Cambodia in 1989. Pol Pot continued to lead the Khmer Rouge as an insurgent movement until 1997. After he died in 1998, the movement crumbled. Some of the movement's other leaders were convicted of war crimes, crimes against humanity, and genocide in trials by the Khmer Rouge Tribunal. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. If email's your thing, send us a note at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you same place tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.